Hello, this is Bob McLaurin with the Bereans Bible Prophecy Podcast, episode 19. And technically, this really isn't about Bible prophecy, but it's certainly uh, the COVID-19 virus is certainly impacting us, and many people are looking at it through the lens of uh, end times in Bible prophecy, whether it's a birth pang or or the beginning. Um I really didn't want to come back to you unless I had something substantial to talk to you about. And for two weeks, I didn't. And then yesterday morning, I I was looking at the Drudge Report, which has gone left, drastically left in the last few months. And had a link to an L.A. Times article that basically came out and said that hydroxychloroquine, which so far has been the uh, most effective, cheapest, and easiest to administer uh, remedy for the virus, uh, highest highest rate of success. The, this news article came out and basically said, nah, it's a possible maybe. I mean, several pages long and just, and it's current. I mean, it was, it was dated within the last couple of days. LA Times, huge article. And they completely panned hydroxychloroquine. Well, when I was done, I couldn't believe what they were doing. I mean, it's just outright calling, uh, making a, a truth a lie and, and or a lie a truth, whatever you want to do with it. But what they failed to mention was the combination of erythromycin with that being why it's so effective. They don't even mention it in the article. So why in the world would they do that? And it, I mean, we've all been asking these questions, at least anybody who is interested in the truth, uh, looks like 40 to 45% of our country isn't interested in any truth at all. All they care about is power. But uh, trying to stay out of politics here, um, why is the media and the left so opposed to the use of hydroxychloroquine and erythromycin or any other any other drug or remedy that uh, that solves this COVID-19 uh, virus, stops it or allows us to get back to work in some normalcy? And uh, I think we know the answer to that. Uh, it's still mind-boggling that I get politics and I get that sleazebags will do anything to gain power. What I don't get is when it comes to the death of another human being that that many people, that many people uh, still would choose power over the death of their fellow citizens. That is a huge eye-opener. I still don't believe it. But, uh, you know, it's it's there. It's happening day by day. And uh, the media just, they're not even healthy skeptics. They're actively opposing the reports of its, its effectiveness. And Dr. Oz, who I would not consider, I don't know him, don't follow him, but, you know, he was always associated with Oprah and uh, mid, you know, daytime TV. I just assume he would lean left. Well, it may be... I have no idea if he does or not, but he came out 
as an outspoken advocate for it because he was so appalled at what he was seeing in the news and and uh, how people were uh, were suppressing the truth. That is incredible. So uh, good for him. Anyway, uh, uh, what all this brought to my mind was I've been I've been following Q online the Q drops for about two and a half years now and um, trying to see what's verified, what's speculation, what's disinformation, and keep it all in balance there. And one of the messages that was dropped several years ago. Um, I spent a Christmas reading them all like a year and a half's worth over my Christmas break. And that's before there were 4,000 of them now, but there was only about a thousand. I ripped them in about two days. And one of the messages dropped in the form of a question was what if cures existed for diseases that billions in research had been spent you know, we all, everybody cracks on big pharma for this or that, the price of drugs, and, you know, they don't want cheap drugs, all that stuff. But in, in, in a sense, that's true. Uh, but any big entity that's humongous and, you know, they're going to take criticism for in some way or another. So um, you kind of want to give people the benefit of, a, of the doubt there and, until there's real proof. But let me t- allow me a quick sidetrack um, for some background here. About 10 years ago, I became aware of an MIT engineer named Brian Peskin, and he had rediscovered, I say rediscovered, you'll understand in a second, the true cause of cancer, primary cause of cancer, from the research of a German scientist in the 1930s named Otto Warburg, O-T-T-O-W-A-R-B-U-R-G. You can uh, search him up and read all about him. And what's fascinating about Warburg is he won the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine in 1931. Nobel Prize. And he was nominated another 47 times in his career. So this guy was no slouch. He knew what he was doing. And his specialty, he investigated the metabolism of tumors and the respiration of cells, particularly cancer cells. And what he found and demonstrated was that if you deprive a cell of oxygen by 38%, it's, it's in that range, like 35 to 38%. It's a real obscure, unique, you know, number. It isn't just a swag. He was very specific. But if you deprive a cell of this amount of oxygen for an extended period of time, so it isn't just quick, it it takes while, that cell turns cancerous. And once it goes cancerous, it doesn't return. Now, up to a point before it turns cancerous, that cell will will recover and aspirate normally uh, with oxygen. But by definition, uh, well, let me just move on. This takes quite a while to occur, and, and you know, and it's a it's a one way path. Once a cell crosses over to cancer, it doesn't return to normal ever. You know, it has to be killed out. And the definition of cancer, and this is Otto Warburg's definition, 
Cancer above all, all other diseases has countless secondary causes. But even for cancer, there's only one prime cause. Summarized in a few words, the prime cause of cancer is the replacement of the respiration of oxygen in normal body cells by a fermentation of sugar. Now, in short, what he's trying to say is, you know, you can smoke, you can, you know, take in other forms of carcinogens. They will, those are secondary causes of cancer. And that answers the, the problem of why do people that smoke for 60 years only, you know, you would think 100% or 99% get cancer, and they don't. It's very low. It's like 14 to 20%. I mean, low considering our perception. Very low based on what you would expect. Somebody who just smokes four packs a day for their whole life. For that reason, what what I saw was all of these are secondary causes. And Otto Warburg says the primary cause is, is the uh, deprivation of oxygen to the cell at the cellular level, the wall or the boundary where blood brings oxygen or I'm getting beyond uh, what I know here. Uh, the blood's obviously carrying oxygen to the cells, but there's a physiological mechanism there where oxygen passes through the cell wall. And uh, it's a wall uh, partially made up of oils and fat and good fat. And uh, um, this gets blocked or uh, becomes dysfunctional over time and produces a blockage where your the cell can't can't get oxygen and up to based on his research you know 30 something percent for an extended period of time that cell becomes cancerous now what he what he says is the cell doesn't die it actually changes how it consumes and produces energy and it moves from consuming oxygen to where it consumes sugar or the fermentation of sugar. And uh, so that's why if you're ever diagnosed with cancer, the very first thing you need to do is drop sugar out of your diet, drop carbs, because otherwise you're just feeding that cancer. Uh, not only, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I eat way more sugar and carbs than I should. But um, if you've got cancer, you are actively feeding that cancer if you're still taking in sugar in a primary form or a secondary form through carbohydrates. And uh, because that's all those cancer cells feed on. So you need to starve those cells. So uh, I'm still in this sidetrack here. Well, Brian Peskin, his wife had diabetes I think and was suffering she was having a tough time with it and he was doing research and all this MIT engineer I think he's in electrical engineering but he somehow he is related he was working within a biomedical field or something but uh, he's doing research down in Houston which has the largest medical research library in the world I believe from what he had said 
And he, he saw this. He saw that they knew the cause, the primary cause of cancer uh, in 1931. So um, the reason I bring all this up is, and, and Peskin, there's much more to say about Brian Peskin, things that we do with our diet and intake of certain uh, supplements to, to help our body guard against uh, a lack of oxygen at the cell, cellular level. And it doesn't have to do with oxygen in your blood because the healthiest athletes in the world die of cancer. But all, you can have all the oxygen in, the, in your blood that you can possibly carry but if the cell is blocked in an area, it's going to eventually go cancerous, uh, and because it can't, it can't feed off that oxygen, and then it'll begin to uh, ferment sugar as its primary me- mechanism of of uh, respiration, I guess. Um, again, using words, I don't even know where I, <laughs> I'm not qualified to talk about this at great lengths here, but. Uh, uh, these guys that I read are and do. So, anyway, backing, trying to get back on track here. The reason I bring this up, I once I became aware of this, I saw numerous, the multitude of doctors and researchers in the cancer field that you'll see on ads and interviews and newspapers and these discoveries and None of them talk about this process. It's as if they don't even know about it or, or were never taught it in school and med school. And because all of the methodologies that we see presented, like DNA and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's like they're going after symptoms rather than the cause. And, uh, it's, it was very puzzling because, I mean, we know the billions that are spent every single year. And it's been going on for, what, 40 years, 50 years, where major, major money has been poured in. And let me tell you, there was no cancer from late 1890s and prior. There was none. And Peskin, uh, he does more than postulate. He, I mean, he says it's the... Uh, trans fats, the oils that have been, the hydrogenated oils that if you were to put that oil on the shelf, it goes rancid in a couple hours or days. So they have to uh, process it. And that's where you get those big, long phrases on, you know, on the back of peanut butter and whatever else you're buying. uh, Because it has to be stable on the shelf and it's stable for a year or two. And a lot of times, well, that process basically kills the, any health value of those vegetable oils. And, uh, you know, it's not enough just to drop trans fats because those are pretty much gone out of everything, but canola and all that, it's still, oil that if you consume and it's in everything so you can't avoid it but if you consume that without any remedy eventually you're gonna people that are more susceptible than others they're going to 
eventually end up with uh, oxygen being deprived at the cellular level because that same type of oil is present within the cellular wall. And this is all based on Peskin. I trust what he's saying because I've read everything. I've seen how he's corroborated it, tested, and things like that. So, uh, And his last name is P-E-S-K-I-N, Brian Peskin. You can look him up and see what he talks about. All makes perfect sense without... Uh, he's not selling anything. He does have a book, but nobody gets uh, rich selling books except... Uh, Stephen King. So uh, anyway, all that to say, uh, trying to get back on track here. I, I was just, I was seeing all these researchers that weren't even over the target area, you know, making their pitch for here's a cure. We think this will work and that, and just billions after billions being doled out and funds raised with races every year and athletes and all that just made me think about what Q had said a couple of years ago. And and I think he even mentioned it again this week. And that is, and then relating that to hydroxychloroquine and erythromycin, it's like, what if the, you know, if you look at the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine, and erythromycin. And as I understand how many diseases and viruses work, including COVID-19, is that they ultimately, it's not a direct attack, it's ultimately they cause our immune system to attack itself and overreact and starts to, starts to attack you. Your own immune system starts to break you down. And the combination of hydroxychloroquine and erythromycin lowers the immune response to a point that your own body can defend itself without fighting itself. And, and as I've been reading and hearing these doctors talk about it, uh, they say this is how many diseases and viruses operate. And, and so it just made me wonder, well, what if, this combination of hydroxychloroquine and erythromycin works on many other things if they all attack in the same way, which is lower, it lowers your immune response or, or raises the immune response to over-attack yourself. And so that's, you know, it isn't much, but that's one of the things running through my head is, you know, what if this stuff that costs a couple of dollars, 50 bucks, let's say, for the combination, an effective cure, 50 bucks a person. What if we found out that uh, this drug that's been around for 70 years, and when you combine it with a, a modern, you know, I don't know how long erythromycin has been out. It was out when I was a kid. But you combine those two, and what if powers that be knew this combination would knock out just about anything that came our way. In other words, it allowed our, it, it enabled our bodies to be able to fight against these other diseases that the, the rest, the establishment is out there pushing vaccines and we need 
billions uh, committed to for research to find a cure and all that. And and what if years and years have been going by when for pennies we could have all seen uh, a you know great great benefit from these ultra cheap generic drugs that have been out there the whole time. And the only reason it makes me think this is even a possibility is when you see the press and real doctors oppose the truth. It's one thing for them to say, yep, this is effective, but you know, for whatever reason, it may not be the right choice for this patient or that. They're not saying that. They're saying it doesn't work. Doesn't work. They're outright lying. And the studies I've seen, it, it's 96% effective in a lot of places and trials. So uh, just amazing. Uh, it's, it's hard not to believe conspiracy theories after what we've seen in the last three months and what side of the truth people are standing on. So um, sorry if that isn't pure Bible prophecy, but that's what we're living through right now. So. Take care. Talk to you later.